When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lady Susan, Section 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lady Susan by Jane Austen, Section 4. Miss Vernon. Read by Kara Schallenberg. Lady Susan. Read by Kristen Hughes. Mrs. Vernon. Read by Rachel Ellen. 21. Miss Vernon to Mr. De Courcy. Sir, I hope you will excuse this liberty. I am forced upon it by the greatest distress, or I should be ashamed to trouble you. I am very miserable about Sir James Martin and have no other way in the world of helping myself but by writing to you, for I am forbidden even speaking to my uncle and aunt on the subject, and, this being the case, I am afraid my applying to you will appear no better than equivocation, and as if I attended to the letter, and not the spirit, of mamma's commands. But if you do not take my part, and persuade her to break it off, I shall be half distracted, for I cannot bear him." No human being but you could have any chance of prevailing with her. If you will, therefore, have the unspeakably great kindness of taking my part with her, and persuading her to send Sir James away, I shall be more obliged to you than it is possible for me to express. I always disliked him from the first. It is not a sudden fancy, I assure you, sir. I always thought him silly and impertinent and disagreeable and now he has grown worse than ever. I would rather work for my bread than marry him. I do not know how to apologize enough for this letter. I know it is taking so great a liberty. I am aware how dreadfully angry it will make mamma, but I remember the risk. I am, sir, your most humble servant. F. S. V. 22. Lady Susan to Mrs. Johnson, Churchill. This is insufferable. My dearest friend, I was never so enraged before, and must relieve myself by writing to you, who I know will enter into all my feelings. Who should come on Tuesday but Sir James Martin? Guess my astonishment and vexation, for as you well know I never wished him to be seen at Churchill. What a pity that you should not have known his intentions! Not content with coming, 
he actually invited himself to remain here a few days. I could have poisoned him. I made the best of it, however, and told my story with great success to Mrs. Vernon, who, whatever might be her real sentiments, said nothing in opposition to mine. I made a point also of Frederica's behaving civilly to Sir James, and gave her to understand that I was absolutely determined on her marrying him. She said something of her misery, but that was all. I have for some time been more particularly resolved on the match, from seeing the rapid increase of her affection for Reginald, and from not feeling secure that a knowledge of such affection might not in the end awaken a return. Contemptible as a regard founded only on compassion must make them both in my eyes, I felt by no means assured that such might not be the consequence. It is true that Reginald has not in any degree grown cool towards me, but yet he has lately mentioned Frederica spontaneously and unnecessarily, and once said something in praise of her person. He was all astonishment at the appearance of my visitor, and at first observed Sir James with an attention which I was pleased to see not unmixed with jealousy. But unluckily it was impossible for me really to torment him, as Sir James, though extremely gallant to me, very soon made the whole party understand that his heart was devoted to my daughter. I had no great difficulty in convincing de Courcy, when we were alone, that I was perfectly justified, all things considered, in desiring the match, and the whole business seemed most comfortably arranged. They could none of them help perceiving that Sir James was no Solomon, but I had positively forbidden Frederica complaining to Charles Vernon or his wife, and they had therefore no pretense for interference. Though my impertinent sister, I believe, wanted only opportunity for doing so. Everything, however, was going on calmly and quietly, and though I counted the hours of Sir James's stay, my mind was entirely satisfied with the posture of affairs. Guess, then, what I must feel at the sudden disturbance of all my schemes, and that, too, from a quarter where I had least reason to expect it. Reginald came this morning into my dressing-room, with a very unusual solemnity of countenance, and after some preface informed me in so many words that he wished to reason with me on the impropriety and unkindness of allowing Sir James Martin to address my daughter contrary to her inclinations. I was all amazement. When I found that he was not to be laughed out of his design, I calmly begged an explanation, and desired to know by what he was impelled and by whom commissioned to reprimand me. He then told me, mixing in his speech a few insolent compliments and ill-timed expressions of tenderness, to which I listened with perfect indifference, that my daughter had acquainted him with some circumstances concerning herself, Sir James, and me, which had given him great uneasiness. In short, I found that she had in the first place actually written to him to request his interference, and that, on receiving her letter, he had conversed with her on the subject of it, in order to understand the particulars, and to assure himself of her real wishes. I have not a doubt but that the girl took this opportunity of making downright love to him. I am convinced of it by the manner in which he spoke of her. Much good may such love do him. I shall ever despise the man who can be gratified by the passion which he never wished to inspire nor solicited the avowal of. 
I shall always detest them both. He can have no true regard for me, or he would not have listened to her. And she, with her little rebellious heart and indelicate feelings, to throw herself into the protection of a young man with whom she has scarcely ever exchanged two words before. I am equally confounded at her impudence and his credulity. How dare he believe what she told him in my disfavour? Ought he not to have felt assured that I must have unanswerable motives for all that I had done? Where was his reliance on my sense and goodness then? Where the resentment which true love would have dictated against the person defaming me? That person, too, a chit, a child, without talent or education, whom he had been always taught to despise. I was calm for some time, but the greatest degree of forbearance may be overcome, and I hope I was afterwards sufficiently keen. He endeavoured, long endeavoured, to soften my resentment. But that woman is a fool indeed, who, while insulted by accusation, can be worked on by compliments. At length he left me, as deeply provoked as myself and he showed his anger more. I was quite cool, but he gave way to the most violent indignation. I may therefore expect it will the sooner subside, and perhaps his may be vanished for ever, while mine will be found still fresh and implacable. He is now shut up in his apartment, whither I heard him go on leaving mine. How unpleasant, one would think, must be his reflections! but some people's feelings are incomprehensible. I have not yet tranquillized myself enough to see Frederica. She shall not soon forget the occurrence of this day. She shall find that she has poured forth her tender tale of love in vain, and exposed herself for ever to the contempt of the whole world, and the severest resentment of her injured mother. Your affectionate S. Vernon Twenty three. Mrs. Vernon to Lady de Courcy. Churchill. Let me congratulate you, my dearest mother. The affair which has given us so much anxiety is drawing to a happy conclusion. Our prospect is most delightful, and since matters have now taken so favourable a turn, I am quite sorry that I ever imparted my apprehensions to you for the pleasure of learning that the danger is over, is perhaps dearly purchased by all that you have previously suffered. I am so much agitated by delight that I can scarcely hold a pen, but I am determined to send you a few short lines by James, that you may have some explanation of what must so greatly astonish you, as that Reginald should be returning to Parklands. I was sitting about half an hour ago with Sir James in the breakfast-parlour, when my brother called me out of the room. I instantly saw that something was the matter. His complexion was raised, and he spoke with great emotion. You know his eager manner, my dear mother, when his mind is interested. "'Catherine,' said he, "'I am going home to-day. I am sorry to leave you, but I must go. It is a great while since I have seen my father and mother. I am going to send James forward with my hunters immediately. If you have any letter, therefore, he can take it. I shall not be at home myself till Wednesday or Thursday.' as I shall go through London, where I have business. But before I leave you, he continued, speaking in a lower tone and with still greater energy, I must warn you of one thing. Do not let Frederica Vernon be made unhappy by that Martin. He wants to marry her. Her mother promotes the match, but she cannot endure the idea of it. 
be assured that I speak from the fullest conviction of truth of what I say. I know that Frederica is made wretched by Sir James's continuing here. She is a sweet girl, and deserves a better fate. Send him away immediately. He is only a fool. But what her mother can mean, heaven only knows. Good-bye, he added, shaking my hand with earnestness. I do not know when you will see me again. But remember what I tell you of Frederica. You must make it your business to see justice done her. She is an amiable girl, and has a very superior mind to what we have given her credit for. He then left me, and ran upstairs. I would not try to stop him, for I know what his feelings must be. The nature of mine, as I listened to him, I need not attempt to describe. For a minute or two I remained in the same spot, overpowered by wonder of a most agreeable sort indeed, yet it required some consideration to be tranquilly happy. In about ten minutes after my return to the parlour, Lady Susan entered the room. I concluded, of course, that she and Reginald had been quarrelling, and looked with anxious curiosity for a confirmation of my belief in her face. Mistress of deceit, however, she appeared perfectly unconcerned, and after chatting on indifferent subjects for a short time, she said to me, "'I find from Wilson that we are going to lose Mr. de Courcy. Is it true that he leaves Churchill this morning?' I replied that it was. "'He told us nothing of all this last night,' said she, laughing, or even this morning at breakfast, but perhaps he did not know it himself. Young men are often hasty in their resolutions, and not more sudden in forming than unsteady in keeping them. I should not be surprised if he were to change his mind at last, and not go.' She soon afterwards left the room. I trust, however, my dear mother, that we have no reason to fear an alteration of his present plan. Things have gone too far. They must have quarrelled, and about Frederica, too. Her calmness astonishes me. What delight will be yours in seeing him again, in seeing him still worthy your esteem, still capable of forming your happiness? When I next write I shall be able to tell you that Sir James is gone, Lady Susan vanquished, and Frederica at peace." We have much to do, but it shall be done. I am all impatience to hear how this astonishing change was effected. I finish as I began, with the warmest congratulations. Yours ever, etc. Kath Vernon 24. From the Same to the Same Churchill Little did I imagine, my dear mother, when I sent off my last letter, that the delightful perturbation of spirits I was then in would undergo so speedy, so melancholy a reverse. I never can sufficiently regret that I wrote to you at all. Yet who could have foreseen what has happened? My dear mother, every hope which made me so happy only two hours ago has vanished. The quarrel between Lady Susan and Reginald is made up, and we are all as we were before. One point only is gained. Sir James Martin is dismissed. What are we now to look forward to? I am indeed disappointed. Reginald was all but gone. His horse was ordered and all but brought to the door. Who would not have felt safe? For half an hour I was in momentary expectation of his departure. After I had sent off my letter to you, I went to Mr. Vernon, and sat with him in his room, talking over the whole matter, and then determined to look for Frederica, whom I had not seen since breakfast. I met her on the stairs, and saw that she was crying. "'My dear aunt,' said she, "'he is going. Mr. de Courcy is going, and it is all my fault. 
I am afraid you will be very angry with me, but indeed I had no idea it would end so. My love, I replied, do not think it necessary to apologize to me on that account. I shall feel myself under an obligation to any one who is the means of sending my brother home, because, recollecting myself, I know my father wants very much to see him. But what is it you have done to occasion all this? She blushed deeply as she answered, I was so unhappy about Sir James that I could not help. I have done something very wrong. I know, but you have not an idea of the misery I have been in, and mamma had ordered me never to speak to you or my uncle about it, and— You therefore spoke to my brother to engage his interference, said I, to save her the explanation. No, but I wrote to him. I did indeed. I got up this morning before it was light, and was two hours about it, and when my letter was done I thought I never should have the courage to give it. After breakfast, however, as I was going to my room, I met him in the passage, and then, as I knew that everything must depend on that moment, I forced myself to give it. He was so good as to take it immediately. I dared not look at him, and ran away directly. I was in such a fright I could hardly breathe. My dear aunt, you do not know how miserable I have been. Frederica, said I, you ought to have told me all your distresses. You would have found in me a friend, always ready to assist you. Do you think that your uncle or I should not have espoused your cause as warmly as my brother? Indeed, I did not doubt your kindness, said she, colouring again, but I thought Mr. de Courcy could do anything with my mother. But I was mistaken. They have had a dreadful quarrel about it, and he is going away. Mamma will never forgive me, and I shall be worse off than ever. No, you shall not, I replied. In such a point as this your mother's prohibition ought not to have prevented your speaking to me on the subject. She has no right to make you unhappy, and she shall not do it. Your applying, however, to Reginald can be productive only of good to all parties. I believe it is best as it is. Depend upon it that you shall not be made unhappy any longer. At that moment how great was my astonishment at seeing Reginald come out of Lady Susan's dressing-room! My heart misgave me instantly. His confusion at seeing me was very evident. Frederica immediately disappeared. "'Are you going?' I said. "'You will find Mr. Vernon in his own room.' "'No, Catherine,' he replied. "'I am not going. Will you let me speak to you a moment?' We went into my room. I find, he continued, his confusion increasing as he spoke, that I have been acting with my usual foolish impetuosity. I have entirely misunderstood Lady Susan, and was on the point of leaving the house under a false impression of her conduct. There has been some very great mistake. We have all been mistaken, I fancy. Frederica does not know her mother. Lady Susan means nothing but her good, but she will not make a friend of her. Lady Susan does not always know, therefore, what will make her daughter happy. Besides, I could have no right to interfere. Miss Vernon was mistaken in applying to me. In short, Catherine, everything has gone wrong, but it is now all happily settled. Lady Susan, I believe, wishes to speak to you about it, if you are at leisure. Certainly, I replied, deeply sighing at the recital of so lame a story. I made no comments, however, for words would have been vain. Reginald was glad to get away, and I went to Lady Susan, curious, indeed, to hear her account of it. "'Did I not tell you,' said she, with a smile, "'that your brother would not leave us after all?' 
"'You did indeed,' replied I, very gravely, "'but I flattered myself you would be mistaken.' "'I should not have hazarded such an opinion,' returned she, "'if it had not at that moment occurred to me "'that his resolution of going might be occasioned "'by a conversation in which we had been this morning engaged, "'and which had ended very much to his dissatisfaction, "'from our not rightly understanding each other's meaning.' this idea struck me at the moment and i instantly determined that an accidental dispute in which i might probably be as much to blame as himself should not deprive you of your brother if you remember i left the room almost immediately i was resolved to lose no time in clearing up those mistakes as far as i could the case was this frederica has set herself violently against marrying sir james "'And can your ladyship wonder that she should?' cried I, with some warmth. "'Frederica has an excellent understanding, and Sir James has none.' "'I am at least very far from regretting it, my dear sister,' said she. "'On the contrary, I am grateful for so favourable a sign of my daughter's sense. "'Sir James is certainly below par. "'His boyish manners make him appear worse, "'and had Frederica possessed the penetration and the abilities "'which I could have wished in my daughter, "'or had I even known her to possess as much as she does, "'I should not have been anxious for the match.' "'It is odd that you should alone be ignorant of your daughter's sense.' "'Frederica never does justice to herself. "'Her manners are shy and childish, "'and besides she is afraid of me.' During her poor father's life she was a spoilt child. The severity which it has since been necessary for me to show has alienated her affection. Neither has she any of that brilliancy of intellect, that genius or vigour of mind which will force itself forward. Say, rather, that she has been unfortunate in her education. Heaven knows, my dearest Mrs. Vernon, how fully I am aware of that. "'but I would wish to forget every circumstance "'that might throw blame on the memory "'of one whose name is sacred with me.' "'Here she pretended to cry. "'I was out of patience with her. "'But what,' said I, "'was your ladyship going to tell me "'about your disagreement with my brother?' "'It originated in an action of my daughter's, "'which equally marks her want of judgment "'and the unfortunate dread of me I have been mentioning. "'She wrote to Mr. de Courcy.' "'I know she did. You had forbidden her speaking to Mr. Vernon or to me on the cause of her distress. What could she do, therefore, but apply to her brother?' "'Good God!' she exclaimed. "'What an opinion you must have of me! Can you possibly suppose that I was aware of her unhappiness, that it was my object to make my own child miserable, and that I had forbidden her speaking to you on the subject from a fear of your interrupting the diabolical scheme?' Do you think me destitute of every honest, every natural feeling? Am I capable of consigning her to everlasting misery whose welfare it is my first earthly duty to promote? The idea is horrible. What, then, was your intention when you insisted on her silence? Of what use, my dear sister, could be any application to you, however the affair might stand? Why should I subject you to entreaties which I refuse to attend to myself? neither for your sake nor for hers nor for my own could such a thing be desirable when my own resolution was taken i could not wish for the interference however friendly of another person i was mistaken it is true but i believed myself right but what was this mistake to which your ladyship so often alludes from whence arose so astonishing a misconception of your daughter's feelings did you not know that she disliked sir james 
I knew that he was not absolutely the man she would have chosen, but I was persuaded that her objections to him did not arise from any perception of his deficiency. You must not question me, however, my dear sister, too minutely on this point," continued she, taking me affectionately by the hand. I honestly own that there is something to conceal. Frederica makes me very unhappy. Her applying to Mr. de Courcy hurt me particularly. "'What is it you mean to infer,' said I, by this appearance of mystery? If you think your daughter at all attached to Reginald, her objecting to Sir James could not less deserve to be attended to than if the cause of her objecting had been a consciousness of his folly. And why should your ladyship, at any rate, quarrel with my brother for an interference which, you must know, it is not in his nature to refuse when urged in such a manner? His disposition, you know, is warm, and he came to expostulate with me. His compassion all alive for this ill-used girl, this heroine in distress. We misunderstood each other. He believed me more to blame than I really was. I considered his interference less excusable than I now find it. I have a real regard for him, and was beyond expression mortified to find it, as I thought, so ill-bestowed. We were both warm, and of course both to blame. His resolution of leaving Churchill is consistent with his general eagerness. When I understood his intention, however, and at the same time began to think that we had been perhaps equally mistaken in each other's meaning, I resolved to have an explanation before it was too late. For any member of your family I must always feel a degree of affection, and I own it would have sensibly hurt me if my acquaintance with Mr. de Courcy had ended so gloomily. I have now only to say further, that as I am convinced of Frederica's having a reasonable dislike of Sir James, I shall instantly inform him that he must give up all hope of her. I reproach myself for having even, though innocently, made her unhappy on that score. She shall have all the retribution in my power to make. If she value her own happiness as much as I do, if she judge wisely, and command herself as she ought, she may now be easy." Excuse me, my dearest sister, for thus trespassing on your time, but I owe it to my own character, and after this explanation I trust I am in no danger of sinking in your opinion. I could have said, not much indeed, but I left her almost in silence. It was the greatest stretch of forbearance I could practice. I could not have stopped myself had I begun. Her assurance! Her deceit! But I will not allow myself to dwell on them they will strike you sufficiently. My heart sickens within me. As soon as I was tolerably composed I returned to the parlour. Sir James's carriage was at the door, and he, merry as usual, soon afterwards took his leave. How easily does her ladyship encourage or dismiss a lover! In spite of this release, Frederica still looks unhappy, still fearful, perhaps, of her mother's anger, and though dreading my brother's departure, jealous, it may be, of his staying. I see how closely she observes him and Lady Susan, poor girl. I have now no hope for her. There is not a chance of her affection being returned. He thinks very differently of her from what he used to do. He does her some justice, but his reconciliation with her mother precludes every dearer hope. Prepare, my dear mother, for the worst. The probability of their marrying is surely heightened. He is more securely hers than ever. When that wretched event takes place, Frederica must belong wholly to us. 
I am thankful that my last letter will precede this by so little, as every moment that you can be saved from feeling a joy which leads only to disappointment, is of consequence. Yours ever, etc. Catherine Vernon End of Section 4 Lady Susan by Jane Austen Lady Susan Section 5 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lady Susan by Jane Austen Section 5 Lady Susan Read by Kristen Hughes Mrs. Johnson, read by Kirsten Ferreri. Mrs. Vernon, read by Rachel Ellen. Twenty-five. Lady Susan to Mrs. Johnson. Churchill. I call on you, dear Alicia, for congratulations. I am my own self, gay and triumphant. When I wrote to you the other day, I was, in truth, in high irritation, and with ample cause. Nay, I know not whether I ought to be quite tranquil now, for I have had more trouble in restoring peace than I ever intended to submit to. A spirit, too, resulting from a fancied sense of superior integrity, which is peculiarly insolent. I shall not easily forgive him, I assure you. He was actually on the point of leaving Churchill. I had scarcely concluded my last, when Wilson brought me word of it. I found, therefore, that something must be done, for I did not choose to leave my character at the mercy of a man whose passions are so violent and so revengeful. It would have been trifling with my reputation to allow of his departing with such an impression in my disfavour. In this light condescension was necessary. I sent Wilson to say that I desired to speak with him before he went. He came immediately. The angry emotions, which had marked every feature when we last parted, were partially subdued. He seemed astonished at the summons, and looked as if half wishing and half fearing to be softened by what I might say. If my countenance expressed what I aimed at, it was composed and dignified, and yet, with a degree of pensiveness, which might convince him that I was not quite happy. "'I beg your pardon, sir, for the liberty I have taken in sending for you.' said I, but as I have just learnt your intention of leaving this place to-day, I feel it my duty to entreat that you will not on my account shorten your visit here even an hour. I am perfectly aware that after what has passed between us, it would ill suit the feelings of either to remain longer in the same house. So very great, so total a change from the intimacy of friendship, must render any future intercourse the severest punishment and your resolution of quitting Churchill is undoubtedly in unison with our situation, and with those lively feelings which I know you to possess. But at the same time, it is not for me to suffer such a sacrifice, as it must be to leave relations to whom you are so much attached, and are so very dear. My remaining here cannot give that pleasure to Mr. and Mrs. Vernon, which your society must— and my visit has already perhaps been too long. 
My removal, therefore, which must, at any rate, take place soon, may with perfect convenience be hastened, and I make it my particular request that I may not in any way be instrumental in separating a family so affectionately attached to each other. Where I go is of no consequence to any one, of very little to myself, but you are of importance to all your connections. Here I concluded, and I hope you will be satisfied with my speech. Its effect on Reginald justifies some portion of vanity, for it was no less favourable than instantaneous. Oh, how delightful it was to watch the variations of his countenance while I spoke, to see the struggle between returning tenderness and the remains of displeasure. There is something agreeable in feelings so easily worked on. Not that I envy him their possession, nor would for the world have such myself, but they are very convenient when one wishes to influence the passions of another. And yet this Reginald, whom a very few words from me softened at once into the utmost submission, and rendered more tractable, more attached, more devoted than ever, would have left me in the first angry swelling of his proud heart, without deigning to seek an explanation. Humbled as he is now, I cannot forgive him such an instance of pride, and am doubtful whether I ought not to punish him by dismissing him at once after this reconciliation, or by marrying and teasing him for ever. But these measures are each too violent to be adopted without some deliberation. At present, my thoughts are fluctuating between various schemes. I have many things to compass. I must punish Frederica, and pretty severely, too, for her application to Reginald. I must punish him for receiving it so favourably, and for the rest of his conduct. I must torment my sister-in-law for the insolent triumph of her look and manner, since Sir James has been dismissed. For, in reconciling Reginald to me, I was not able to save that ill-fated young man, and I must make myself amends for the humiliation to which I have stooped within these few days. To effect all this I have various plans. I have also an idea of being soon in town, and whatever may be my determination as to the rest, I shall probably put that project in execution, for London will be always the fairest field of action however my views may be directed, and at any rate I shall there be rewarded by your society, and a little dissipation, for a ten weeks' penance at Churchill. I believe I owe it to my character to complete the match between my daughter and Sir James, after having so long intended it. Let me know your opinion on this point. Flexibility of mind, a disposition easily biased by others, is an attribute which you know I am not very desirous of obtaining, nor has Frederica any claim to the indulgence of her notions at the expense of her mother's inclinations. Her idle love for Reginald, too. It is surely my duty to discourage such romantic nonsense. All things considered, therefore, it seems incumbent on me to take her to town and marry her immediately to Sir James. When my own will is effected contrary to his, I shall have some credit in being on good terms with Reginald, which at present, in fact, I have not. For though he is still in my power, I have given up the very article by which our quarrel was produced. And at best the honour of victory is doubtful. 
send me your opinion on all these matters, my dear Alicia, and let me know whether you can get lodgings to suit me within a short distance of you. Your most attached, S. Vernon. 26. Mrs. Johnson to Lady Susan. Edward Street. I am gratified by your reference, and this is my advice, that you come to town yourself, without loss of time, but that you leave Frederica behind. It would surely be much more to the purpose to get yourself well established by marrying Mr. de Courcy than to irritate him and the rest of his family by making her marry Sir James. You should think more of yourself and less of your daughter. She is not of a disposition to do you credit in the world, and seems precisely in her proper place at Churchill, with the Vernons. But you are fitted for society, and it is shameful to have you exiled from it. Leave Frederica, therefore, to punish herself for the plague she has given you, by indulging that romantic tender-heartedness which will always ensure her misery enough, and come to London as soon as you can. I have another reason for urging this. Mannering came to town last week, and has contrived, in spite of Mr. Johnson, to make opportunities of seeing me. He is absolutely miserable about you, and jealous to such a degree of de Courcy that it would be highly unadvisable for them to meet at present. And yet, if you do not allow him to see you here, I cannot answer for his not committing some great imprudence, such as going to Churchill, for instance, which would be dreadful. Besides, if you take my advice, and resolve to marry de Courcy, it will be indispensably necessary to you to get Mannering out of the way, and you only can have influence enough to send him back to his wife. I have still another motive for your coming. Mr. Johnson leaves London next Tuesday. He is going for his health to Bath, where, if the waters are favourable to his constitution and my wishes, he will be laid up with the gout many weeks. During his absence we shall be able to choose our own society, and to have true enjoyment. I would ask you to Edward Street, but that once he forced from me a kind of promise never to invite you to my house, nothing but my being in the utmost distress for money should have extorted it from me. I can get you, however, a nice drawing-room apartment in Upper Seymour Street, and we may be always together, there or here, for I consider my promise to Mr. Johnson as comprehending only, at least in his absence, your not sleeping in the house. Poor Mannering gives me such histories of his wife's jealousy. Silly woman, to expect constancy from so charming a man. But she always was silly, intolerably so, in marrying him at all, she the heiress of a large fortune, and he without a shilling. One title I know she might have had besides baronets. Her folly in forming the connection was so great, that, though Mr. Johnson was her guardian, and I do not in general share his feelings, I never can forgive her. Adieu. Yours ever, Alicia. 27. Mrs. Vernon to Lady de Courcy. Churchill. This letter, my dear mother, will be brought to you by Reginald. His long visit is about to be concluded at last, but I fear the separation takes place too late to do us any good. She is going to London to see her particular friend, Mrs. Johnson. It was at first her intention that Frederica should accompany her, for the benefit of masters, but we overruled her there. Frederica was wretched in the idea of going, and I could not bear to have her at the mercy of her mother. Not all the masters in London could compensate for the ruin of her comfort. I should have feared, too, for her health, and for everything but her principles, 
There I believe she is not to be injured by her mother, or her mother's friends, but with those friends she must have mixed, a very bad set, I doubt not, or have been left in total solitude, and I can hardly tell which would have been worse for her. If she is with her mother, moreover, she must, alas, in all probability be with Reginald, and that would be the greatest evil of all. Here we shall in time be in peace, and our regular employments, our books and conversations, with exercise, the children, and every domestic pleasure in my power to procure her, will, I trust, gradually overcome this youthful attachment. I should not have a doubt of it were she slighted for any other woman in the world than her own mother. How long Lady Susan will be in town, or whether she returns here again, I know not. I could not be cordial in my invitation, but if she chooses to come no want of cordiality on my part will keep her away. I could not help asking Reginald if he intended being in London this winter, as soon as I found her ladyship's steps would be bent thither, and though he professed himself quite undetermined, there was something in his look and voice as he spoke which contradicted his words. I have done with lamentation. I look upon the event as so far decided that I resign myself to it in despair. If he leaves you soon for London, everything will be concluded. Your affectionate, etc. C. Vernon. 28. Mrs. Johnson to Lady Susan. Edward Street. My dearest friend, I write in the greatest distress. The most unfortunate event has just taken place. Mr. Johnson has hit on the most effectual manner of plaguing us all. He had heard, I imagine, by some means or other, that you were soon to be in London, and immediately contrived to have such an attack of the gout as must at least delay his journey to Bath, if not wholly prevent it. I am persuaded the gout is brought on or kept off at pleasure. It was the same when I wanted to join the Hamiltons to the lakes, and three years ago when I had a fancy for Bath nothing could induce him to have a gouty symptom. I am pleased to find that my letter had so much effect on you, and that de Courcy is certainly your own. Let me hear from you as soon as you arrive, and in particular tell me what you mean to do with Mannering. It is impossible to say when I shall be able to come to you. My confinement must be great. It is such an abominable trick to be ill here instead of at Bath that I can scarcely command myself at all. At Bath his old aunts would have nursed him, but here it all falls upon me, and he bears pain with such patience that I have not the common excuse for losing my temper. Yours ever, Alicia. 29. Lady Susan Vernon to Mrs. Johnson. Upper Seymour Street. My dear Alicia, there needed not this last fit of gout to make me detest Mr. Johnson. But now the extent of my aversion is not to be estimated. To have you confined as his nurse in his apartment! My dear Alicia, of what a mistake were you guilty in marrying a man of his age! Just old enough to be formal, ungovernable, and to have the gout. Too old to be agreeable, too young to die. I arrived last night about five, had scarcely swallowed my dinner, when Mannering made his appearance. I will not dissemble what real pleasure his sight afforded me, nor how strongly I felt the contrast between his person and manners, and those of Reginald, to the infinite disadvantage of the latter. For an hour or two I was even staggered in my resolution of marrying him, and though this was too idle and nonsensical an idea to remain long on my mind, 
I do not feel very eager for the conclusion of my marriage, nor look forward with much impatience to the time when Reginald, according to our agreement, is to be in town. I shall probably put off his arrival under some pretense or other. He must not come till Mannering is gone. I am still doubtful at times as to marrying. If the old man would die, I might not hesitate. But a state of dependence on the caprice of Sir Reginald will not suit the freedom of my spirit. And if I resolve to wait for that event, I shall have excuse enough at present, in having been scarcely ten months a widow. I have not given Mannering any hint of my intention, or allowed him to consider my acquaintance with Reginald as more than the commonest flirtation, and he is tolerably appeased. Adieu till we meet. I am enchanted with my lodgings. Yours ever, S. Vernon. 30. Lady Susan Vernon to Mr. de Courcy. Upper Seymour Street. I have received your letter, and though I do not attempt to conceal that I am gratified by your impatience for the hour of meeting, I yet feel myself under the necessity of delaying that hour beyond the time originally fixed. Do not think me unkind for such an exercise of my power, nor accuse me of instability without first hearing my reasons. In the course of my journey from Churchill, I had ample leisure for reflection on the present state of our affairs, and every review has served to convince me that they require a delicacy and cautiousness of conduct, to which we have hitherto been too little attentive. We have been hurried on by our feelings to a degree of precipitation, which ill accords with the claims of our friends or the opinion of the world. We have been unguarded in forming this hasty engagement but we must not complete the imprudence by ratifying it while there is so much reason to fear the connection would be opposed by those friends on whom you depend. It is not for us to blame any expectations on your father's side of your marrying to advantage. Where possessions are so extensive as those of your family, the wish of increasing them, if not strictly reasonable, is too common to excite surprise or resentment. He has a right to require a woman of fortune in his daughter-in-law, and I am sometimes quarrelling with myself for suffering you to form a connection so imprudent. But the influence of reason is often acknowledged too late by those who feel like me. I have now been but a few months a widow, and however little indebted to my husband's memory for any happiness derived from him during a union of some years, I cannot forget that the indelicacy of so early a second marriage must subject me to the censure of the world, and incur what would be still more insupportable, the displeasure of Mr. Vernon. I might perhaps harden myself in time against the injustice of general reproach, but the loss of his valued esteem I am, as you well know, ill-fitted to endure, and when to this may be added the consciousness of having injured you with your family, how am I to support myself? With feelings so poignant as mine, the conviction of having divided the son from his parents would make me, even with you, the most miserable of beings. It will surely, therefore, be advisable to delay our union, to delay it till appearances are more promising, till affairs have taken a more favourable turn. To assist us in such a resolution, 
I feel that absence will be necessary. We must not meet. Cruel as the sentence may appear, the necessity of pronouncing it, which can alone reconcile it to myself, will be evident to you when you have considered our situation in the light in which I have found myself imperiously obliged to place it. You may be, you must be, well assured that nothing but the strongest conviction of duty could induce me to wound my own feelings by urging a lengthened separation, and of insensibility to yours you will hardly suspect me. Again, therefore, I say that we ought not, we must not yet meet. By a removal of some months from each other, we shall tranquillize the sisterly fears of Mrs. Vernon, who, accustomed herself to the enjoyment of riches, considers fortune as necessary everywhere, and those sensibilities are not of a nature to comprehend ours. Let me hear from you soon, very soon. Tell me that you submit to my arguments, and do not reproach me for using such. I cannot bear reproaches. My spirits are not so high as to need being repressed. I must endeavour to seek amusement, and fortunately many of my friends are in town, amongst them the Mannerings. You know how sincerely I regard both husband and wife. I am very faithfully yours, S. Vernon. 31. Lady Susan to Mrs. Johnson. Upper Seymour Street. My dear friend, that tormenting creature Reginald is here. My letter, which was intended to keep him longer in the country, has hastened him to town. Much as I wish him away, however, I cannot help being pleased with such a proof of attachment. He is devoted to me, heart and soul. He will carry this note himself, which is to serve as an introduction to you, with whom he longs to be acquainted. Allow him to spend the evening with you, that I may be in no danger of his returning here. I have told him that I am not quite well, and must be alone. And should he call again, there might be confusion, for it is impossible to be sure of servants. Keep him, therefore, I entreat you, in Edward Street. You will not find him a heavy companion, and I allow you to flirt with him as much as you like. At the same time, do not forget my real interest. Say all that you can to convince him that I shall be quite wretched if he remains here. You know my reasons, propriety, and so forth. I would urge them more myself, but that I am impatient to be rid of him, as Mannering comes within half an hour. Adieu. S. Vernon End of Section 5 Lady Susan by Jane Austen Lady Susan, Section 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lady Susan by Jane Austen, Section 6. Mrs. Johnson, read by Kirsten Ferreri. Lady Susan, read by Kristen Hughes. Mr. De Courcy, read by Patrick Beverley. Lady De Courcy, read by Gazina.
Mrs. Vernon. Read by Rachel Ellen. Conclusion. Read by Justin Barrett. 32. Mrs. Johnson to Lady Susan. Edward Street. My dear creature, I am in agonies and know not what to do. Mr. de Courcy arrived just when he should not. Mrs. Mannering had that instant entered the house, and forced herself into her guardian's presence, though I did not know a syllable of it till afterwards, for I was out when both she and Reginald came, or I should have sent him away at all events, but she was shut up with Mr. Johnson, while he waited in the drawing-room for me. She arrived yesterday in pursuit of her husband, but perhaps you know this already from himself. She came to this house to entreat my husband's interference, and before I could be aware of it everything that you could wish to be concealed was known to him, and unluckily she had wormed out of Mannering's servant that he had visited you every day since your being in town, and had just watched him to your door herself. What could I do? Facts are such horrid things. All is by this time known to de Courcy, who is now alone with Mr. Johnson. Do not accuse me. Indeed, it was impossible to prevent it. Mr. Johnson has for some time suspected de Courcy of intending to marry you, and would speak with him alone as soon as he knew him to be in the house. That detestable Mrs. Mannering, who, for your comfort, has fretted herself thinner and uglier than ever, is still here, and they have been all closeted together. What can be done? At any rate, I hope he will plague his wife more than ever. With anxious wishes, yours faithfully. Alicia. 33. Lady Susan to Mrs. Johnson, Upper Seymour Street. This eclaircissement is rather provoking. How unlucky that you should have been from home! I thought myself sure of you at seven. I am undismayed, however. Do not torment yourself with fears on my account. Depend on it, I can make my story good with Reginald. Mannering is just gone. He brought me the news of his wife's arrival. Silly woman! What does she expect by such manoeuvres? Yet I wish she had stayed quietly at Langford. Reginald will be a little enraged at first, but by to-morrow's dinner everything will be well again. Adieu, S.V. 34. Mr. de Courcy to Lady Susan. Hotel. I write only to bid you farewell. The spell is removed. I see you as you are. Since we parted yesterday, I have received from indisputable authority such a history of you as must bring the most mortifying conviction of the imposition I have been under, and the absolute necessity of an immediate and eternal separation from you. You cannot doubt to what I allude. Langford. Langford, that word will be sufficient. I received my information in Mr. Johnson's house, from Mrs. Mannering herself. You know how I have loved you. You can intimately judge of my present feelings, but I am not so weak as to find indulgence in describing them to a woman who will glory in having excited their anguish, but whose affection they have never been able to gain. R. de Courcy 35. Lady Susan to Mr. de Courcy, Upper Seymour Street I will not attempt to describe my astonishment in reading the note this moment received from you. I am bewildered in my endeavours to form some rational conjecture of what Mrs. Mannering can have told you to occasion so extraordinary a change in your sentiments. 
have I not explained everything to you with respect to myself which could bear a doubtful meaning, and which the ill nature of the world had interpreted to my discredit? What can you now have heard to stagger your esteem for me? Have I ever had a concealment from you? Reginald, you agitate me beyond expression. I cannot suppose that the old story of Mrs. Mannering's jealousy can be revived again, or at least be listened to again. Come to me immediately, and explain what is at present absolutely incomprehensible. Believe me, the single word of Langford is not of such potent intelligence as to supersede the necessity of more. If we are to part, it will at least be handsome to take your personal leave. But I have little heart to jest. In truth, I am serious enough. For to be sunk, though but for an hour, in your esteem, is a humiliation to which I know not how to submit. I shall count every minute till your arrival. S.V. 36. Mr. De Courcy to Lady Susan. Hotel. Why would you write to me? Why do you require particulars? But, since it must be so, I am obliged to declare that all the accounts of your misconduct during the life and since the death of Mr. Vernon, which had reached me, in common with the world in general, and gained my entire belief before I saw you, but which you, by the exertion of your perverted abilities, had made me resolved to disallow, have been unanswerably proved to me. Nay, more, I am assured that a connection, of which I had never before entertained a thought, has for some time existed, and still continues to exist, between you and the man whose family you robbed of its peace, in return for the hospitality with which you were received into it, that you have corresponded with him ever since your leaving Langford, not with his wife, but with him, and that he now visits you every day. Can you, dare you deny it? And all this, at the time when I was an encouraged and accepted lover, from what have I not escaped? I have only to be grateful. Far from me be all complaint, every sigh of regret. My own folly had endangered me. My preservation I owe to the kindness, the integrity of another. But the unfortunate Mrs. Mannering, whose agonies while she related the past seemed to threaten her reason, how is she to be consoled? After such a discovery as this, you will scarcely affect further wonder at my meaning in bidding you adieu. My understanding is, at length, restored, and teaches no less to abhor the artifices which had subdued me than to despise myself for the weakness on which their strength was founded. R. De Courcy 37. Lady Susan to Mr. De Courcy, Upper Seymour Street I am satisfied and will trouble you no more when these few lines are dismissed. The engagement which you were eager to form a fortnight ago is no longer compatible with your views, and I rejoice to find that the prudent advice of your parents has not been given in vain. Your restoration to peace will, I doubt not, speedily follow this act of filial obedience, and I flatter myself with the hope of surviving my share in this disappointment. S.V. 38. Mrs. Johnson to Lady Susan Vernon. Edward Street. I am grieved, though I cannot be astonished at your rupture with Mr. de Courcy, 
He has just informed Mr. Johnson of it by letter. He leaves London, he says, to-day. Be assured that I partake in all your feelings, and do not be angry if I say that our intercourse, even by letter, must soon be given up. It makes me miserable, but Mr. Johnson vows that if I persist in the connection, he will settle in the country for the rest of his life. You know it is impossible to submit to such an extremity while any other alternative remains. You have heard, of course, that the Mannerings are to part, and I am afraid Mrs. M. will come home to us again. But she is still so fond of her husband, and frets so much about him, that perhaps she may not live long. Miss Mannering is just come to town to be with her aunt, and they say that she declares she will have Sir James Martin before she leaves London again. If I were you, I would certainly get him myself. I had almost forgot to give you my opinion of Mr. de Courcy. I am really delighted with him. He is full as handsome, I think, as Mannering, and with such an open, good-humoured countenance, that one cannot help loving him at first sight. Mr. Johnson and he are the greatest friends in the world. Adieu, my dear Susan. I wish matters did not go so perversely. That unlucky visit to Langford! But I dare say you did all for the best, and there is no defying destiny. Your sincerely attached, Alicia. 39. Lady Susan to Mrs. Johnson, Upper Seymour Street. My dear Alicia, I yield to the necessity which parts us. Under circumstances you could not act otherwise. Our friendship cannot be impaired by it, and in happier times, when your situation is as independent as mine, it will unite us again in the same intimacy as ever. For this I shall impatiently wait, and meanwhile can safely assure you that I never was more at ease, or better satisfied with myself and everything about me, than at the present hour. Your husband I abhor, Reginald I despise, and I am secure of never seeing either again. Have I not reason to rejoice? Mannering is more devoted to me than ever, and were we at liberty, I doubt if I could resist even matrimony offered by him. This event, if his wife live with you, it may be in your power to hasten. The violence of her feelings, which must wear her out, may be easily kept in irritation. I rely on your friendship for this. I am now satisfied that I never could have brought myself to marry Reginald, and am equally determined that Frederica never shall. To-morrow I shall fetch her from Churchill, and let Maria Mannering tremble for the consequence. Frederica shall be Sir James's wife before she quits my house, and she may whimper and the Vernons may storm. I regard them not. I am tired of submitting my will to the caprices of others, of resigning my own judgment in deference to those to whom I owe no duty, and for whom I feel no respect. I have given up too much, have been too easily worked on, but Frederica shall now feel the difference. Adieu, dearest of friends, may the next gouty attack be more favourable, and may you always regard me as unalterably yours. S. Vernon 40. Lady de Courcy to Mrs. Vernon My dear Catherine, I have charming news for you, and if I had not sent off my letter this morning, you might have been spared the vexation of knowing of Reginald's being gone to London, for he is returned. Reginald is returned, 
not to ask our consent to his marrying Lady Susan, but to tell us they are parted for ever. He has been only an hour in the house, and I have not been able to learn particulars, for he is so very low that I have not the heart to ask questions, but I hope we shall soon know all. This is the most joyful hour he has ever given us since the day of his birth. Nothing is wanting but to have you here, and it is our particular wish and entreaty that you would come to us as soon as you can. You have owed us a visit many long weeks. I hope nothing will make it inconvenient to Mr. Vernon. And pray bring all my grandchildren, and your dear nieces included, of course. I long to see her. It has been a sad, heavy winter hitherto, without Reginald and seeing nobody from Churchill. I never found the season so dreary before, but this happy meeting will make us young again. Frederica runs much in my thoughts, and when Reginald has recovered his usual good spirits, as I trust he soon will, we will try to rob him of his heart once more, and I am full of hopes of seeing their hands joined at no great distance. Your affectionate mother, C. de Courcy 41. Mrs. Vernon to Lady de Courcy Churchill my dear mother, your letter has surprised me beyond measure. Can it be true that they are really separated, and for ever? I should be overjoyed if I dared depend on it, but after all that I have seen, how can one be secure? And Reginald really with you? My surprise is the greater, because on Wednesday, the very day of his coming to Parklands, we had a most unexpected and unwelcome visit from Lady Susan, looking all cheerfulness and good humour and seeming more as if she were to marry him when she got to London than as if parted from him for ever. She stayed nearly two hours, was as affectionate and agreeable as ever, and not a syllable, not a hint was dropped of any disagreement or coolness between them. I asked her whether she had seen my brother since his arrival in town, not, as you may suppose, with any doubt of the fact, but merely to see how she looked. She immediately answered, without any embarrassment, that he had been kind enough to call on her on Monday, but she believed he had already returned home, which I was very far from crediting. Your kind invitation is accepted by us with pleasure, and on Thursday next we and our little ones will be with you. Pray heaven Reginald may not be in town again by that time. I wish we could bring dear Frederica too, but I am sorry to say that her mother's errand hither was to fetch her away, and— Miserable as it made the poor girl, it was impossible to detain her. I was thoroughly unwilling to let her go, and so was her uncle, and all that could be urged we did urge, but Lady Susan declared that as she was now about to fix herself in London for several months, she could not be easy if her daughter were not with her for masters, etc. Her manner, to be sure, was very kind and proper, and Mr. Vernon believes that Frederica will now be treated with affection. I wish I could think so, too. The poor girl's heart was almost broke at taking leave of us. I charged her to write to me very often, and to remember that if she were in any distress we should be always her friends. I took care to see her alone, that I might say all this, and I hope made her a little more comfortable. But I shall not be easy till I can go to town and judge of her situation myself. I wish there were a better prospect than now appears of the match which the conclusion of your letter declares your expectations of. At present, it is not very likely. Yours ever, etc. C. Vernon 
This correspondence, by a meeting between some of the parties, and a separation between the others, could not, to the great detriment of the post office revenue, be continued any longer. Very little assistance to the State could be derived from the epistolary intercourse of Mrs. Vernon and her niece, for the former soon perceived, by the style of Frederica's letters, that they were written under her mother's inspection, and therefore, deferring all particular enquiry till she could make it personally in London, ceased writing minutely or often. Having learnt enough in the meanwhile from her open-hearted brother of what had passed between him and Lady Susan to sink the latter lower than ever in her opinion, she was proportionably more anxious to get Frederica removed from such a mother and placed under her own care, and though with little hope of success, was resolved to leave nothing unattempted that might offer a chance of obtaining her sister-in-law's consent to it. Her anxiety on the subject made her press for an early visit to London, and Mr. Vernon, who, as it must already have appeared, lived only to do whatever he was desired, soon found some accommodating business to call him thither. With a heart full of the matter, Mrs. Vernon waited on Lady Susan shortly after her arrival in town, and was met with such an easy and cheerful affection as made her almost turn from her with horror. No remembrance of Reginald, no consciousness of guilt, gave one look of embarrassment. She was in excellent spirits, and seemed eager to show at once, by ever possible attention to her brother and sister, her sense of their kindness, and her pleasure in their society. Frederica was no more altered than Lady Susan. The same restrained manners, the same timid look in the presence of her mother as heretofore, assured her aunt of her situation being uncomfortable, and confirmed her in the plan of altering it. No unkindness, however, on the part of Lady Susan appeared persecution on the subject of sir james was entirely at an end his name merely mentioned to say that he was not in london and indeed in all her conversation she was solicitous only for the welfare and improvement of her daughter acknowledging in terms of grateful delight that frederica was now growing every day more and more what a parent could desire mrs vernon surprised and incredulous knew not what to suspect and without any change in her own views only feared a greater difficulty in accomplishing them. The first hope of anything better was derived from Lady Susan's asking her whether she thought Frederica looked quite as well as she had done at Churchill, as she must confess herself to have sometimes an anxious doubt of London's perfectly agreeing with her. Mrs. Vernon, encouraging the doubt, directly proposed her niece's returning with them into the country. Lady Susan was unable to express her sense of such kindness, yet knew not, from a variety of reasons, how to part with her daughter, and as, though her own plans were not yet wholly fixed, she trusted it would ere long be in her power to take Frederica into the country herself, concluded by declining entirely to profit by such unexampled attention. Mrs. Vernon persevered, however, in the offer of it, and though Lady Susan continued to resist, her resistance in the course of a few days seemed somewhat less formidable. The lucky alarm of an influenza decided what might not have been decided quite so soon. Lady Susan's maternal fears were then too much awakened for her to think of anything but Frederica's removal from the risk of infection. Above all disorders in the world, she most dreaded the influenza for her daughter's constitution. Frederica returned to Churchill with her uncle and aunt, and three weeks afterwards, Lady Susan announced her being married to Sir James Martin. Mrs. Vernon was then convinced of what she had only suspected before, that she might have spared herself all the trouble of urging a removal which Lady Susan had doubtless resolved on from the first. Frederica's visit was nominally for six weeks, 
but her mother, though inviting her to return in one or two affectionate letters, was very ready to oblige the whole party by consenting to a prolongation of her stay, and in the course of two months ceased to write of her absence, and in the course of two or more to write to her at all. Frederica was therefore fixed in the family of her uncle and aunt till such time as Reginald de Courcy could be talked, flattered, and finessed into an affection for her which, allowing leisure for the conquest of his attachment to her mother, for his abjuring all future attachments, and detesting the sex, might be reasonably looked for in the course of a twelve-month. Three months might have done it in general, but Reginald's feelings were no less lasting than lively." Whether Lady Susan was or was not happy in her second choice, I do not see how it can ever be ascertained, for who would take her assurance of it on either side of the question? The world must judge from probabilities. She had nothing against her but her husband and her conscience. Sir James may seem to have drawn a harder lot than mere folly merited. I leave him, therefore, to all the pity that anybody can give him. For myself, I confess that I can pity only mismannering who, coming to town and putting herself to an expense in clothes which impoverished her for two years, on purpose to secure him, was defrauded of her due by a woman ten years older than herself. End of Section 6 Lady Susan The Entire Cast of Readers Lady Susan, read by Kristen Hughes Mrs. Vernon Read by Rachel Ellen. Mr. De Courcy, read by Patrick Beverley. Mrs. Johnson, read by Kirsten Ferreri. Sir Reginald De Courcy, read by Simon Taylor. Lady De Courcy, read by Gazina. Miss Vernon, read by Kara Schallenberg. Conclusion, read by Justin Barrett. End of Lady Susan by Jane Austen. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.